Welcome to 10 Minutes With. It's a podcast for people who want to listen to podcasts, but don't have all day. We've got a pretty quick chat with someone you might be interested in learning more about in about 10 minutes. The Jesus Revolution movie has surpassed all expectations. It's generated buzz on national TV and has raked in more at the box office than anyone predicted. Andy Irwin is half of the famous movie-making Irwin Brothers. He was a producer on Jesus Revolution. Has the movie gone beyond what you expected, Andy? Yeah, this one, we were really curious, um, you know, what the the, the temperament was going to be for the story when we released it. My my brother just had a hunch that this was the timing to go, but the timing for a story about revival and the story of this movement just it struck a nerve so they thought we were going to do about six million dollars opening weekend and we did 15.8 and it's gone on to continue to just steamroll and i just think it just shows a hunger from the the christian audience to to be well represented and to see stories that move their heart we kind of had a priming of the pump across the country before this film dropped you had damar hamlin you had public prayer on display which was just something we've never seen before you had the revival at asbury and then you had this movie come out one two three that god said nah we're taking the stage and it was so cool to see god prime that before we ever released a movie it wasn't something that was caused by the movie it was something that god was already doing so to see with the damar hamlin thing to see um dan orlowski on espn praying on air <laughs> and then all of a sudden to hear that about the asbury revival breaking out and it's spreading to uh 30 plus 40 plus college campuses uh it's just the stage was set that it was already something god was doing and uh the, the crazy thing about it was the revival that we highlight in G- the jesus revolution it started on the west coast and then it also started at asbury college in kentucky 50 years ago. So the idea that 50 years later it's happening again, it was just, we kept having to pinch ourselves like this, this is crazy that this is not something, it's not a marketing scheme. It's God doing what he does. Is the American church today that different from Chuck Smith's church back in 1968? You know, as storytellers, we study human behavior. And if you look at what motivated people in the late 1960s and what motivates people now, I don't think it's just the church. I think it's culture as a whole is very similar. You know, in the late 60s, you know, people were really burnt out because of uh, false promises of the hippie movement uh, and it promising to be what kind of unlocked people's potential through drugs. And uh, and then, uh, you know, them being very culture, being very uh, upset about a lot of upheaval around the Vietnam War and all those type things. And people were disillusioned and they were desperate for hope. And the church was very, very much kind of a closed door and was dwindling and people were stopping coming in the doors. And I think if you look at people right now, I think it's very similar. I think there's a, there's a culture of kids that very similarly to the the hippies, uh, they're not bad kids looking for bad things. They're looking for the right things. They're looking to belong and looking for truth and looking for justice. They're just looking for it in a, in a place absent of God and whether that's social media or different causes. And I think, they they really have not seen the relevance of the church and the church has not really done anything to engage them. So I think there is a desperation and a disconnect between two generations. And so the desire for a story like this is for the older generation to call them back and say, remember who you were, remember what you did. At one point you were the overtly Christian kids that were also counterculture. And then for the younger generation, just to kind of inspire them of, you know, kind of dream of what you could be. 
And, uh, and it's a, a conversation starter between two generations that I hope has the impact that, that the original movement had. And, and it's, it's exciting to see those conversations starting. I read that Jim Gaffigan was originally signed on to play Chuck Smith. Is that true? Jim had signed on and he's an incredibly funny and, uh, and really actually a really good, good actor in a very different role. Uh, each role kind of takes on the person out of the person playing them because of scheduling conflicts and, you know, creative vision, he decided to kind of go the other way and had to drop out. And we were really wanting the right person to come in and step into Chuck's role. Chuck Smith, this, you know, legendary pastor of Calvary Chapel, who was kind of this jaded kind of church dying kind of moment in his, his ministry. And this hippie evangelist, uh, John, Jonathan Ruby plays uh, called Lonnie Frisbee, walks through his front door. And so we wanted somebody to really capture the gravitas and the humor and the heart of Chuck and Kelsey Grammer that everybody knows from, you know, Frazier and, and all the iconic roles he's done over the years. Kelsey was on his back porch and having a moment of reflection and prayer and said, I want my life to count for something. I want to do something that matters. And the next day, the script for Jesus Revolution showed up at his house from his agent. And he's like, I'm doing this movie. And he came in and embraced it. Uh, profoundly impacted him to the point where several times promoting the film, he broke down in tears talking about how special it was, but he just brought something so special and so human to this pastor uh, that I, th I think it's, I think it's a, it's an iconic role. And uh, Kelsey, I mean, I can't imagine anybody else playing that role. Do you have like a pinky promise from Jim Gaffigan to be one of your future movies? <laughs> Jim's great. I would love to work with Jim at any point. Very talented guy. Uh, I'm a huge fan, uh, you know, so I, well, I'll, I'll take the pinky promise. Let's talk about Jonathan Rumi for a second, which he does a phenomenal job playing Lonnie Frisbee. But a lot of people who saw clips of the movie went, wait a second, is that guy playing Jesus? You know, because of The Chosen. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any yeah. question marks going in that like, wait, are people going to get confused? Are we trying to portray Jesus here? Yeah, it, it, we actually leaned into that um, because Lonnie Frisbee, the hippie evangelist, would always get teased that he looked like Jesus. And he said, people keep accusing me. It's actually in the movie, one of the lines. He says, people keep accusing me of looking like Jesus. And I can't imagine somebody I'd rather look like than Jesus. So I'm good with that. And um, and so, yeah, we leaned into it. Like, like uh, Lonnie had this kind of messianic aura to him that really reflected who he followed. Uh, and the first time he's walking down the road, he's wearing a handmade cape with a mural Jesus painted on it that I'm sure he did when he was on drugs. And he just is an ethereal character. But then as you get into it, he takes it a direction that I don't think people have really seen from Jonathan. It's a really mysterious, complicated mm. character for sure. But yeah, we had some fun with it. There's even a little cameo when they're doing evangelism on the boardwalk uh, and he, he's, they're handing out biblical tracts and hands it out to one guy. And it's actually uh, Paris Patel who plays Matthew on The Chosen. And he hands it out and says, hey, you know, do you know Jesus? And Paris reaches out and shakes his hand and says, glad to meet you. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm, I want to tell you about Jesus. Right. And so it was kind of a funny humor inside baseball kind of thing. But yeah, we really just kind of embraced it. And the audiences that have seen the film really just absolutely adore Jonathan in this role. I was surprised how funny this movie was. You have very funny script writing, great delivery by some really talented actors and actresses. And then you also have this very sweet story that brings you to tears on both a human and a spiritual level. The interesting thing, and I, and I can't really take a lot of credit for this, uh, my brother John and John Gunn, the writers, and then 
John and Brent as the directors, really wanted to do something interesting and nuanced because it was a period of time where Christianity, like I said, was both overt and it was counterculture. It was innocent and it was rebellious. And uh, it was just a really interesting time for it to not be the churchy thing you were used to, but to, for it to be absolutely overt Christian. And so they leaned into the humanity of these band of misfit hippies, these people that had been called freaks that found Jesus and became Jesus freaks. And they leaned into the messiness of this kind of homeless community just overrunning, you know, Costa Mesa, California, and, uh, you know, literally taking over Chuck Smith's house. Kelsey and Jonathan came up with so many things, even on the day, like, you know, the part where they're trying to jumpstart the car and they're praying and and just keep praying over the car. Like a lot of those things, uh, Jonathan just came up with amazing stuff in character in the moment that just really cracked everybody up. And then all of a sudden it would turn on a dime and hit something powerful or something emotional. And so it very much is, uh, it's an experience that I don't think people have had with a faith film that it's a really interesting, nuanced world that I don't, I don't think has really been explored before. And this, the setting just lended itself to so much of both heart and humor and romance with the Greg and Kathy storyline as teenagers. I have said to people, this is the story of Pastor Greg Laurie and how his ministry started. And then some people will say, no, this is the story of Chuck Smith and how he resurrected his church. And then somebody else will say, no, this is the story. of." I mean, there's so many different angles. What do you say this is the story of? This is a story of a moment in time and three different perspectives into that moment in time. You know, Chuck is it's, it's, it's a three generational look at it. And it's just a, it's about this moment where it was a convergence of all these people that had a moment of destiny together. You know, you had Lonnie Frisbee as the hippie evangelist coming down from San Francisco, uh, representing the hippies. You had Chuck Smith as the old guard that went from kind of get off my lawn to we're going to do something radical, let the hippies in the door. And then you had Greg Laurie as this young 16 year old kid who was exploring and curious and was experimenting with drugs and was, you know, had a relationship with, with Kathy and trying to figure out like, you know, what was reality. And in the midst of that became one of the early converts. And all three of those men went on to kind of really impact modern Christianity in their own way. You know, Greg Laurie is one of the last evangelists, I think, in our country that can pack out a stadium uh, in the, in the, in the era of some of his mentors like Billy Graham. And you've got Chuck Smith went on to found the Calvary Chapel denomination uh that is a is a huge denomination now and then Lonnie went on to help found the the vineyard movement and so all three of those have had a profound impact but it was a moment of collision between these individuals that that had a radical encounter with God and uh, kind of changed history when you look at the life of Lonnie Frisbee it's interesting because there is a lot of kingdom work but there's yeah. a lot that isn't told in this movie about his life. I think it's important that when we portray Christians on screen, that they're not portrayed as perfect. Have you taken some heat for painting Lonnie Frisbee in such a good light? We've actually gotten a lot of compliments the other direction. You know, Lonnie had a really complicated story after our story. He had a really complicated past uh, and then he had a really complicated future. But there was a moment in time where you can't divorce him from the Jesus movement and where he came in 
and really was profoundly used. And I think the message of the movie is God uses complicated people. And so he was really used. And then he went on and had a really complex life in the 80s, ended up tragically contracting AIDS and then came back to his faith before he died. And he died praying for another Jesus movement. And so there is a lot of complicatedness. I think it's that complicatedness makes it interesting. I think we highlighted that in this portion of the story, really what consumed him was ego. The tragedy of Lonnie wasn't the external. The tragedy of Lonnie uh, was that he was greatly used by the Spirit of God, but then he drank the Kool-Aid and began to believe that the thing that was powerful was him. And uh, and he kind of got drunk on that power, and then eventually it consumed him. We kind of highlighted that, and we just were very faithful to, this is a moment in time where we try to tell it honestly for where it was. And I think it's been really cool to allow Lonnie to kind of get some credit for the part that he played and fully embracing that he was a very complex, complicated character that that had a complicated history and a complicated future. So can we talk about arts and your life? You've had some pretty successful films now. You've kind of reinvented the genre. There's something to be said for the name Irwin. How do you keep from drinking the Kool-Aid? (laughs) <laughs> I have a family that keeps me humble and I work with my brother that's highly dysfunctional too. And we kind of butt heads a lot. I, you know, I, I think that the thing that is exciting is to work as a collective group of people that are striving to do things better and better with the realization that quality is something that we always chase. It's not something we ever catch. And uh, we try to just get a little bit better with each film and tell it as honestly as we can. I think the humble beginnings of faith film where we've all come from, those early years, we all took a lot of licks and um, endured a lot of criticism where we were all trying to play catch up in an industry where Christianity had led the arts for decades up until the late 1950s, early 1960s, with movies like Ben-Hur and The Robe and you know The Ten Commandments and Sergeant York and all these kind of films that really had a spiritual significance. And then You know, somewhere in the midst of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, we decided that movies were bad and the theater was wrong, and we kind of abdicated our seat at the table. And then after Mel Gibson courageously did The Passion of the Christ, it planted a flag on the ground, and there was a bunch of us that said, maybe we can do this. And so we were part of a group of people that, you know, blazing that trail, uh, you know, we had to stumble forward and find our footing and, you know, had to work our way through a lot of cheesy moments and things that we had to figure out how to do this art form. And I think it's finally hitting a little bit of its you know moment where there's not just us, it's a group of people that are doing really special things. I think the thing I'm excited about with Jesus Revolution is this film was very much, it was my brother's vision and I wasn't ready to go yet. And so Brent McCorkle, who's worked with us on a number of projects, stepped into my seat on the bus and co-directed it with my brother and I, I slid over to producing. And so this has Brent's DNA to it. So I think it's the best film we've ever done and I didn't direct it. And I think that's the way it should be. I think we should empower the next generation of filmmaker. And when they take it farther than us, it's not a defeat, it's a victory. And so I think that's what keeps us humble. We love stories and this job's really hard, but I think this moment could go away as quickly as it's you know come about. And as long as God gives us that window to tell stories, we want to do it faithfully and try to lay our egos down and say, let's serve the audience and let's serve the story. And there's a group of people that we kind of hold each other's feet to the fire. You'll be glad to know that the critics 
still don't like you. Uh, and this movie <laughs> has, has definitely taken a hit from the critics, but it's incredible. The critic scores versus the audience scores are like day and night. Do you even care about what the critics think and what role do they play in the success of a movie? For me, it's the nature of the criticism. You know, if the criticism is that it's cheesy, then yeah, we need to work. If the criticism is that it's overtly Christian, then that's a compliment. And I think a lot of the criticism I've seen, and it's, it's split, you know, I think Rotten Tomatoes has it at 62% right now. But the critics that really went after it, uh, particularly went after the faith. And they said it wasn't this or wasn't that, and, um, and it needed to be more of this or that. Anytime we can end up somewhere around 50% with the critics means that it's a polarizing thing that either people love it or they hate it. The thing that we really adopt, though, that really is the one we take seriously is the audience response. And if the audience really likes the product. And so, you know, for it to be our, you know, our fourth A plus cinema score as a as a, a company, and particularly that right now it's 99% on Rotten Tomatoes with the audience. And I think, you know, Walt Disney always said, I don't pay attention to the critics, I'll take my chance with the audience. We make films for the audience. We make films for people to see themselves and to take their lost friends to understand Christianity. We're not gonna apologize for our faith. And we're gonna do films that are very true to who we are. And so I think less and less we're taking criticism for the craft and it's more and more about the belief. And that's the part we can't change and we're not gonna change. The Irwin Brothers have another movie set to be released this fall. Ordinary Angels stars Hilary Swank and comes out October 13th. If you've enjoyed this episode of 10 Minutes With, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss the next episode. You might also consider giving to Family Life, the listener-funded ministry that makes this and other podcasts possible. Just go to familylife.org and find out more about what we do.